0: السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد المتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شرك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلِّ وسلم وبارك لعبدك ورسولك محمد Welcome to another lesson of Quranic Progression InshaAllah Ta'ala. Today we're going to continue with our tafsir of Surah Al-Buruj uh, where we're currently on verse number 17. In last week's lesson we covered I believe verses 15 and 16 and in those verses Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala was describing himself and describing some of his attributes Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala and some of his creation also Allah described his arsh or himself and he said and we said that there were two readings amongst the scholars of tafsir or the scholars of quran the qiraat in terms of how this verse is read the first is that the word al-majid has a dhamma on it it is marfoo and therefore it is Marfu' because it follows on from the word Dhul dhu arshil majid and we said that that was the reading of the majority of the Qurra 7 out of the 10 of the famous Qurra they read with the Dhamma and in which case uh, the attribute of Allah جل, that it is noble and honorable is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. It is an attribute from the attribute to the name, a name from the names of Allah and that's something which we discussed in some detail I think last week when we said that it is from the names of Allah Azza wa because it is mentioned uh, in a number of uh, also in, in verse, other verses in the Quran, but also in the Sunnah. So from the Quran, the verse in Surah Hud, and the story of Ibrahim عليه والسلام, when the angels come and they give him glad tidings of a son by the name of Ishaq, and after Ishaq a grandson by the name of Ya'qub, عليه and Allah Azza wa says that when the wife of Ibrahim Sarah when she said, this is something which is strange because I'm old and my husband is old, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded, or the angels rather responded, and they said that this is what Allah azza wa jal does, and Allah has placed his barakah, his rahmah upon you, the family of Ibrahim, the household of Ibrahim, innahu hamidun Majid, And we said that often this name of Allah azza wa majeed is closely linked with the word or the name hamid, that Allah is all praiseworthy as well. And then we have obviously the famous dua, or the famous Salah upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we read, uh, that we, we 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 recite in our Salah, and the what we call the du'a Al-Ibrahimi or the Salah of Ibrahim, and that is Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad, in which we also say Inna ka hamidum majid, and we gave some other examples as well. So that is the first Qira'ah. The second Qira'ah that we mention is the Qur'a of then the other three of the ten Qur'a the reading of hamza and al kisai and khalaf al-ashir and they put a kasra they say that it is majrur the word al-majid they put a kasra at the end of it and they say dhul majid in which case al-majid is an attribute of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is the throne of Allah azza wa that is glorious and we said that either way it denotes the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because either it is Allah azza wa that is being described or the creation of Allah Azza wa what is the greatest creation of Allah Azza wa that is being described, and that is in itself showing the power of Allah Azza wa and His greatness as well, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as mentioned by Ibn Qayyim and others. And then the next verse, verse number 16, was the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah Azza wa does as He pleases. And we went into some detail, uh, some of the points that were mentioned by Ibn Qayyim, تعالى, concerning some of the principles and the benefits that we can take from this name of Allah Azza wa Jal that He does as He pleases, He decrees as He pleases. No one can withstand His decree, no one can overcome His command, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in today's episode, uh, we have now reached verse number 17 as we come towards the end of this surah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 17 he says has the story of the destroyed. Oh, uh, have you not heard the stories of the forces? Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, have you not heard the stories of the forces? And this is the translation of Professor Abdul Hanim. Uh, the translation of Sahih International, has there reached you the story of the soldiers? And Mufti Taqi, has there come to you the story of the forces? And Muhsin Khan, has the story reached you of the hosts? And all of these are very similar in terms of the meaning. Some say soldiers, some say forces, some say hosts. But the meaning generally is one and the same. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so therefore in verse number 17, now after Allah azza wa jal mentions a number of verses. So we begin just to recap over the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began by taking an oath over a number of things, by a number of things. Allah azza wa jal took an oath by the heavens. Allah Azza took an oath by the promised day, which is Yawm Al Qiyamah. Allah Azza took an oath by that which is a witness and that which is witnessed. And then Allah Azza went through the story of the people of the Ukhdood, the people that dug the trenches and lit fire and burnt and tortured the believers therein. And we said that the scholars with Tafsir differed as to exactly who those people are, but all of them, all of them speak essentially about one and the same thing. And then we mentioned the principles that Allah Azza extrapolates from this incident and this story for us. And that is that those who harm the believers, who try and test them in regarding, regarding their faith, and then they don't make tawbah, they don't repent to Allah Azza Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them. They are the true losers. They are the ones who will truly be punished. And as for the believers, the people of Iman, the people of righteous deeds, for them Allah Azza will give them the reward, and Allah Azza describes them as attaining the greatest of success, kabir. And then Allah Azza describes his punishment as being severe, and that he himself is the one who is to the believers all forgiving, most beloved, or all loving. And that Allah Azzawajal, as we mentioned then in the in the last episode, also mentioned some of his other attributes and names subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now in verse 17, after mentioning all of that, Allah Azza wa says, has there not come to you? Meaning, have you not heard? Has there not come to you or have you not heard? of the stories of the forces or the hosts or the, uh, the soldiers and the armies. The word Al-Junood is the plural of the word Jund and its singular is Jundi. And in our uh, time, like in, 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 in contemporary Arabic, the word Jundi means soldier. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to a group of nations or people that came from before and Allah describes them as having military might, meaning power, upon the earth, that they were consisting of soldiers, consisting of armies, consisting of forces. And Imam Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says that Allah says to his messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Has there not come to you, meaning you, O Messenger of Allah? Because as we said, after Allah Azzawajal mentions the story of the people of Ukhudud, many of the scholars were of the position of Tafsir. That Allah Azza wa now addresses the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his companions and the people of Quraysh and the people of that time. So Allah Azza wa is addressing them in terms of these questions. Oh Messenger of Allah has not come to you. The story of Al-Junood, those forces and those armies, meaning those who opposed, they, they took up arms to oppose the Messenger of Allah and the Prophets of Allah and Allah Azza wa himself, that they would try to harm them and they would try to harm the believers, uh, it's as if Allah Azza wa is saying, and Imam Tabari says, that you have that knowledge, that those stories have come to you, so you know the stories of what took place before. You know how those people had to uh, had to be people of iman, people of uh, people of uh, people of iman, and people of patience. People that had to be steadfast upon their religion. You know the harm that they had to endure. You know the opposition that they had to face. And you know also then, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately helped them. You know that, w- that, w- that which Allah azza wa jal did when those people showed steadfastness and iman and trust in Allah azza wa jal and patience with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know what Allah azza wa did with their enemies and how Allah azza wa dealt with them. So Allah azza wa jal is as if he is giving the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam a reminder towards the end of this surah that this is not the first time O messenger of Allah that a group of people have been tortured or harmed or persecuted because of their religion, because of their faith, because of their tawheed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza is saying, O Messenger of Allah, and you, O Muslims, who are with him, Sallallahu alayhi Wasallam. you Muslims at the time of, of the early period of Islam, you're not the first of the Muslims ever to be harmed. You're not the first group of people who believed in Allah Azza wa had the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, who had the tawheed of Allah Azza wa that you were persecuted. There were many who came before you, many nations, many prophets, many messengers who went through something similar and in some cases even worse. And that's why Allah جل, as we said in this surah, he mentions the example of a people who were tortured and killed in one of the worst of ways because there are many different ways to inflict punishment and death. One of the worst and one of the gravest is the one that is mentioned in this particular verse, to burn people, to literally throw them into fire that is raging and burn them alive. That is one of the most painful torments that can ever be inflicted upon a group of people. So Allah Jalla says, if he's saying, look at those people who came before you, what they had to endure, and what they had to go through. And that's why we mentioned, I believe last week or maybe the week before, the hadith of Khabab Ibn arat radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave the example of those people who from amongst them, uh, they would be placed in a hole, and then they would be sawn in half, or those people whose flesh would be raked from their bones using uh, metal combs and so on. And it's interesting because as we said in the hadith of Sahib radiyallahu in Sahih Muslim, the story of the king and the sorcerer and the boy, uh, that's what they do with the sorcerer, that's what they do, sorry, with the with the monk. So the monk who was teaching the boy about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when they bring him and he refuses to repent, as we mentioned in that narration, when he refuses to repent, what do they do? They bring... A saw and they saw him in half, as the hadith, the wording of the hadith says, and and this uh, hadith, by the way, Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah taala, which which we didn't mention, I think, before. But Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah taala, this is the hadith that he also mentions in his book Riyadus Salihin, under the chapter of as-sabr, because there's many different ways that you could you could, if you like, uh, c- categorize or label this hadith if you were to put it under a topic heading or a chapter heading. There are many different benefits and many different principles that you could extract. But remember Nawi Ta'ala when he placed it in his book Riyadh Salihin, he placed it under that chapter heading of Baabul Sabr, the chapter of patience, because of the patience of those people who were being who, who were being tortured by by, the, by their enemies. And so the monk is brought and he's sworn in half. And then in one narration or one wording, and also the wording of Sahih Muslim, when the uh, the, the, the 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 king's advisor the one who was blind and went to the boy and Allah Azza wa cured him because he took iman and he made dua to Allah Azza wa when he's also brought and he refuses to leave his religion he's also son in half and so you have these examples how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and this is something interesting that you will find that Allah Azza wa often says something to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the Quran and you can find a hadith that take that principle and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is if you like embodying it, he's living it he's showing it exemplifying it to his companions anhu and the ummah at large this is one example allah azza teaches him something He's now saying the same thing to his companions which shows obviously that the prophet sallallahu alaihi had the greatest of understanding uh, in terms of the tafsir of the book of allah azza and the words of allah subhanahu ta'ala and their meanings and the application of their lessons and so on and so he's saying to those companions habab anhu and the others people before you this is what they had to endure But you are a people who are hasty. So here Allah Azza wa says, You know that there are people who came before you that suffered, that went through hardship. And Allah Azza wa as we know in the next verse, will even give examples of them or two of the primary examples of these people that had to face hosts and armies and forces, the people of Pharaoh and the people of Thamud. These were from the worst of the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the prophets and the the believers uh, of that time and so it's as if Allah azza wa is with this verse consoling the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he is sallallahu alaihi wasallam being consoled because he's being told that this is not the first time and it won't be the last time and you're not the only one and you and your believers are not the the the, the minority or the few or the exception to the rule this has happened many times throughout the history of of Islam and it will continue to happen until Allah Azza wa Jal decrees and Allah Azza wa Jal wills. So therefore you should take solace. You should be consoled by the stories that we've given to you and by the end result and by the principles that Allah Azza wa has bestowed upon you so that you can know the difference then between what is the meaning of true victory and what is the meaning of true failure or true loss. And so this is what Imam Qurtubi says. That when Allah Azza mentions this verse now and the verse that comes after it, these people that are the forces, has there not come to you the stories of these people? This is Tasliya. bi بِذَٰلِكَ وَيُسَلِيهُ and Imam al-Qurtubi says, Allah Azza is consoling the Prophet. Allah Azza is making the believers steadfast. And that's something that you find one of the greatest benefits and lessons from the stories of the people who came before in the past nations, the stories of the Prophets and the stories of the believers who came before and the stories of these other nations in which there's not necessarily a prophet that is mentioned like the people of Ukhtud because that boy isn't a prophet from the prophets of Allah Azza wa Jal but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him through his knowledge certain karamat. Karamat is not the same as a miracle because a miracle is only given to a prophet and to a messenger of Allah. But a karamat is like a miracle. It's also an extraordinary event but the difference is that that's given without revelation. It's given not through an angel. It's given to the awliya of Allah Azza wa that are not prophets and messengers of Allah. And it's from the Aqid of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah that we accept and believe in the karamat of the awliya, those that are obviously authentically reported within the Quran and within the Sunnah. This is an example of that, that Allah Azza wa allowed this boy, by his permission subhanahu wa ta'ala, to cure certain people, to help certain people. The fact that when those uh, soldiers of, of the king attempt to kill him, as we mentioned, uh, in the hadith of Suheib, Muslim, they take him up on the top of the mountain and he makes du'a to Allah bima shi't. Oh Allah, deal with them and in whichever way you please And so the mountain begins to shake, they all die and he's saved They take him in the middle of the ocean or the sea to try to drown him bima shi't. Oh Allah, suffice me, save me in whichever way you please The boat begins to capsize, all of them fall and drown except him So Allah عز saves him. These are called from the karamat of the awliya. From the greatest of these lessons is that it is one of the greatest ways to make your heart steadfast, your iman strong. When you learn these lessons or you hear these stories and you learn these lessons and you see these principles and you see the way in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps his awliya, protects his awliya, gives his awliya a great deal of good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors those people. And that's why Allah in Surah Hud after mentioning the stories of a number of Prophets, the story of Nuh and Hud and Salih and Ibrahim and Lut and Shu'ayb and Musa, alayhimu salatu eight Prophets are mentioned in succession within Surah Hud. And then after Allah Azza wa mentions all of them towards the end of the Surah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says, And likewise, we relate to you the stories of the messengers so that it may make your heart steadfast and firm. You learn lessons from them. You see the laws of Allah Azza wa You see the decree of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see the commands of Allah Azza wa Jal. And you know that this is the sunnah, the, the, the law that Allah Azza wa has placed in similar situations. And so here, likewise, Al-Imam al-Tabari, Al-Qurtubi, others, Rahimahum Allah Ta'ala, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shinqiti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala and others, they say the same thing. That Allah is saying this here so that it can be a way of giving consolation, giving strength, giving tranquility to the heart of the Prophet وسلم, to the hearts of the believers, that they should take solace in this fact that Allah deals with his enemies or deals with his uh, with those who oppress others in a way that he pleases Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and at a time and place of his choosing Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And that's why Sheikh Muhammad Al Amin. Ash-Shanqiti Rahimahullah Ta'ala He says that after Allah Azza wa mentions the story of the people of Uqdood lil lahum in which there is solace for the believers and tathbeet making them steadfast and strong in their iman and also as a warning towards the disbelievers to the mushrikeen that they should be aware of the lessons also because for them there's also a warning in this that they should be aware of beware of oppressing the believers in the same way Harming them in the same way, persecuting the believers in the same way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would mention a number of nations in which this is a clear example. And from them is Pharaoh, the people of Pharaoh, and from them are the people of Thamud. And this is something which Allah Azza wa Jal mentions. He says that the word junud, Sheikh Muhammad al Amin, that the word junud is the plural of the word jund or jundi. Jundi is the singular, jund is uh, the ism al mustar, and junud is the plural القوة, and what it refers to is a multitude of strong people and that's what we would call in our time army a force a host uh, you know that, that's essentially what he's referring to and then he says uh, and then he will give examples of this as we will mention inshallah ta'ala, when we come on to the next verse. Uh, Abu Hayyan rahimahullah ta'ala scholar of tafsir, he said that Allah Azza wa after speaking about the uh, the situation of the disbelievers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here and he says, Has there not come to you the story of them, of some of them, means some of those disbelievers who came before you, and what took place between them and between their prophets, because Pharaoh Musa alayhi salatu was is sent to them. The people of Thamud their Prophet Salih is sent to them. So, that which took place between them and between their prophets, and then that which came upon them in terms of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because they rejected and they refused to believe in their prophets. So, likewise, he says, Abu Hayyan, فَكَذَلِكَ يُحِلُّ بِقُرَيْشٍ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ مِثْلُ مَا أَحَلَّ بِهِمْ So, likewise, the Quraysh should beware that perhaps there will befall them a punishment similar to the punishment that befell those who came before. So they should be aware, the people of Quraysh, that maybe Allah will punish them in a similar way to the way that he punished those who came before them. And this is a warning then to the people of the Quraysh, that the people of the Quraysh shouldn't be under any type of disillusion, that they can do as they please, that they can uh, get away with everything they can oppress. And as we said, like the people of Pharaoh, and like all of those nations that came before, this is one of the things that they think that they can do because if they have power, going to overcome them in their power if they have leadership then who's going to overcome them meaning no one can hold them to account because in terms of the dunya they are the leaders they are the judges they are the powerful and the wealthy so who is going to come other than someone in the dunya who's more powerful has more authority and that's not always the case in fact it is often not the case that there are people who can do that in terms of holding those people to account so Allah says that he is the one who is the one over them in authority. He is Dhul Arshil Majid. He is Fa'alul Lima Yurid. It is his punishment in Nabotsha Rabbika لَشَدِيدِ It is he Subhanahu wa Ta'ala that does as he pleases Jalla fi Ibn Ashur, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said something similar. He said that the Junud, the word Junud, is the plural of the word Jund. And it is to do with an army. وَهُوَ Askar, it is the army. Al لِلْقِتَالِ that readies itself and trains to fight and to kill. And here it is being mentioned, referring to those nations that came before, that gathered together their forces, their host, their strength, in order to oppose the messengers of Allah, عليه So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, He is speaking to the Prophet speaking to these believers. And saying to them that you already know, we've given you past examples in addition to the story of the people of Ukhdood, these people that were tortured. We've given you examples of how Allah deals with them. Because remember in this story of the people of the Ukhdood, no punishment in the dunya came to them. As we mentioned before, there are stories in which the people are punished in the dunya because of their oppression and their disbelief. And people who commit oppression, but no punishment came upon them in the dunya. Nothing happened to them like the people of Ukhdood, according especially to the Tafsir. that doesn't say that they were consumed by the fire. So therefore, based upon that, they're not punished. So if they're not punished, then likewise don't think that they have escaped, that there is no uh, that there is no uh, retribution for them, that there will be no accounting for them. But remember that there were people who came before that Allah azza wa jalla dunked with. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always, always deals with those who are his enemies and those who harm and hurt and oppress others. In verse 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives the example of those junud, those people who are the hosts or the armies, examples of who they were. And that's why this verse is badal, it is it is a substitution for the word junud In the Arabic language, you have a badal, badal means literally to substitute. So Allah عز mentions for example a host then he gives an example of those hosts you could say has there not come to you this, the story of the hosts or the forces or you could say has there not come to you the story of the people of Pharaoh, has there not come to you the story of Thamud So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 18 says Fir'auna wa Thamud of Pharaoh and Thamud and obviously all the translations will be pretty much one and the same so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here gives two examples examples of Junood examples of hosts of armies of forces that uh, opposed his Tawheed, his prophets his messengers the believers allah azza wa gives these two particular examples the first of them is the people of pharaoh of pharaoh allah azza wa says pharaoh and as the um as the scholars mention such as shaykh muhammad al-amin ash shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala he mentions in his book Daf'u hamli al-tirab he says that perhaps a person would question when Allah mentions forces in the plural, it refers to an army. But the first example that Allah gives is of Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh is not an army. Pharaoh is the title of a ruler. He's like an emperor or a king. That's who Pharaoh is. So how does that work? And he says, and obviously the answer to this is very clear. What he means is Pharaoh and the armies of Pharaoh. But Allah mentions Pharaoh because those armies only did his bidding. Those armies only did as he, as he commanded. And that's why Allah جل, when he comes to the story of Pharaoh, he suffices with the word Pharaoh. It is enough. He doesn't have to say, like he says, "Ad is a nation. Midian is a nation. Thamud is a nation. But when it comes to the people of Pharaoh, it is enough to be mentioned by Pharaoh because of his, his leadership over them, his rule over them, the fact that they accepted him essentially to be a god besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah begins with Pharaoh, and then the second nation is the people of Thamud. And Thamud, as we mentioned before, when we were speaking in Surah Al-Shams, Al-Shamsi wa because towards the end Allah mentions the story of Thamud, The people of Thamud are the nation of the Prophet Salih and they're also known as the second Ad. These are the people who are the remnants of the people of Ad, And they settled towards the northern part of what is modern-day Saudi Arabia, towards the area of Tabuk. It is often referred to as being Mada in Saleh and Al-Ulayya and it's got a number of other names, that whole region where they settled. And today it's a place where you can go and visit and it's almost become like a tourist area. And this is where they settled and they carved their homes in the mountains and so on. And so it's a well-known place and it's a well-known uh, area and it's somewhere where the Prophet sallallahu passed through on his way to the Battle of Tabuk towards the end of his life approximately in the ninth year of the Hijrah. So these are the two people of the two nations that Allah azza mentions. Al-Imam al-Tabari <clears throat> rahimahullah ta'ala he says that Allah azza mentions Pharaoh and he mentions him by himself because he was the leader of his armies. He was the leader, he's the general of his armies and so therefore the armies are understood that Allah when he says Junud, and then he says pharaoh it's understood that he means pharaoh and his armies are not just pharaoh by himself. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions pharaoh and then he mentions the people of Thamud. The uh, the teacher of our teacher Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al rahimahullah ta'ala he says that why do, essentially the question that he and some of the other scholars with tafsir such as Abu Hayyan and Ibn Ashur and others, what they try to answer is, why does Allah Azza wa pick these two nations? We have many stories in the Quran. We have Aad, we have the people of Nuh, we have the people of Medyan. we have the people of Lot. There are so many examples that Allah Azza wa could have given. So why does he choose these two? Pharaoh and his people, and the nation of Thamud, the people of Salih alayhi salam. He says, rahimahullah ta'ala, as for the choosing, of huna, as for the choosing of Pharaoh here, then it is because of the many similarities between the story of Pharaoh and the story of the people of Ukhdud. And obviously this is based upon us saying that the people of Ukhdud are those that are mentioned in that narration of Sahih Muslim, the story of the king, the sorcerer and the boy. So just bear that in mind. This is what he's referring to. That similarities mentioned in that particular narration Sahih Muslim and between what we know of Pharaoh that is mentioned in the Quran, the verses about Pharaoh in the Quran, there are many similarities. Many similarities that can be made between the two. <clears throat> the first of them is that Pharaoh used to claim lordship. He used to claim to be God. So he used to say, for example, I know of no other God besides me. I am your God, the Most High. And the king in that story also claimed the same thing. When his advisor goes and is blind, and Allah wa him because he accepts Islam becomes a believer <coughs> and then he comes back in the next time he's sitting with the king the king sees that he can see now so he says to him who gave you back your your uh, your eyesight he says rabbi my lord he says to him alaka rabbun ghairi do you have a god besides me a lord besides me so he says rabbi wa rabbuka Allah my lord and your lord is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's the first similarity between them both of them claimed divinity and lordship for themselves the second of them is that the <coughs> the people of Bani Israel the believers from amongst them were punished severely as we know that pharaoh commanded wa we will kill their children or their sons and we will let the females from amongst them live Allah says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that was a great test for the people of Bani Israel. So, likewise, this king in the story in, in Sahih Muslim does the same thing. Those believers, whoever is a believer, what does he say? Dig those trenches, alight them with fire. Whosoever from amongst them refuses to apostate, then we will make them disbelievers. We will we will we will make them. we will make them fall into that fire or we will throw them and cast them into, into that fire. I apologize, there seems to be some problem with my internet. Okay, I apologize. I think there's there was an issue with my internet. Um, if someone can just confirm that you can hear me now. Okay, excellent. So I apologize for that. I don't know what happened. I think my internet just randomly cut off. Um, so we were speaking about the similarities between the story of uh, the Sheikh Muhammad al-Minshiqi, Taala, was saying the story of the uh, of Pharaoh and and the story that is in Sahih Muslim of the king and the sorcerer and the boy. And he said that the first similarity is between Pharaoh declaring himself to be God, and the man or the king in the story in Sahih Muslim also declaring himself to be God. The second he said is the punishment that, that Pharaoh uh, that Pharaoh passed out upon Ben Israel that he would kill their males and let their females live. And likewise the king in the story. What he does is he determines once those people believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he will dig trenches and he will kill them all unless they leave and abandon their religion. That's number two. Number three are the signs that are mentioned for the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the prophets of Allah in the story of Musa or Pharaoh. We have Musa alayhi salam and the miracles that Allah azza wa Jal gives to him. The stories that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the the miracles that Allah azza wa Jal gives to him and from those miracles as we know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to him, the staff gave to him uh, the other signs that Allah azza wa sent with him. And likewise in the story of the king, the boy Allah azza wa gives him what we said, a karamat. And so he gives him the ability to cure certain people, Allah saves him from death when the odds are against him. And he says to the king that the only way that you can kill me is by tying me up to a tree and by taking a arrow from my quiver and putting it into my bow and then saying by the name or in the name of the Lord of the boy and then you will kill me. And so that's exactly what he does as we know. Um, <clears throat> and that is also from the similarities. Pharaoh, despite all of his strength, despite all of his power, was unable to kill Musa Was unable to harm him, was unable to do anything against him Whereas, and likewise in the story of the boy and the king, he's also not able to, uh, not able to harm, harm the boy in any way or shape Until, as we said, uh, in, towards the end of the story, uh, he does as the boy himself commands also from the similarities Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin Ta'ala mentions, also from the similarities, is that the, the belief or the iman of those people who accepted Iman and the way that they believe in Allah Jalla and they did so when they saw the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, despite the powerful and the elite from amongst them continuing to disbelieve. So in the story of Musa and Pharaoh, we know that when Musa alayhi salatu comes, what does Pharaoh say to him? He says, this is magic. He then says to him, bring your magic back and I will gather my sorcerers and then you can duel with them. So now all of the sorcerers gather and they are there in order to help Pharaoh to give power and victory to Pharaoh over Musa alayhi salatu was salam and over what Musa alayhi salatu was salam brought from the signs of Allah azzawajal. But when Musa alayhi salatu was salam after they throw down their sticks and their ropes and they cast their magic, after, the, after what Musa والسلام, throws down, consumes what they had, consumes their magic what do they do? As we know in the Quran they fall down in prostration to Allah جل, and they say We believe in the Lord of all that exists, the Lord of Musa and Harun and so they believe when they saw the signs of Allah Likewise in the story of the boy and the king, the king after becoming fed up, extremely exacerbated, that he can't kill this boy, his soldiers, his army, they can't harm this boy. So when the boy says, You can only kill me in this one way, that's the only way that you can kill me, the king hastens to grab this offer. So, what does he do? He accepts the the statement of, of the boy. He does as he as he commands, and then what do the people do when they see the sign of Allah Azza when he invokes the name of Allah? in the name of the Lord of the boy. And then he shoots the arrow and the boy is killed. What do the people do? For aman and Nest? the people believed in Allah So the advisors of the king said to him, that you, this is what you feared. This is exactly what you didn't want to happen. And now it's exactly what has taken place. The very thing that you feared has now happened. So you have in the story of Pharaoh, the sorcerer seeing the signs of Allah and believing. But the other people amongst Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself, his other advisors, his nobility, his generals, they see the same signs that Allah gave to them. But for them, there is no hope. There is no Iman that comes as a result of that. And likewise, in the story of the king and the boy, the king, his advisors, his people, they don't believe. But the general masses, when they see the sign, they believe in Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. And so he says after mentioning these similarities between these two stories, the story, of Pharaoh and the story of the boy and the king. And as we said, obviously, this is based upon that being the story that is being referred to in Surah Al-Buruj, in the story of Al-Ukhdood, or the people of the trench. He says, He said, therefore, we understand now the compatibility or the uh, the, the, the the reason why Allah Jal chose to mention Pharaoh as opposed to any of those who came besides him. When وَعِبْرَةٌ Even though there are lessons that can still be derived if Allah Azza had said Aad, Allah had said Nuh, Allah had said the people of Lot, Allah had said the people of Shoaib, there would still have been lessons that we could derive from it but there is a greater level of similarity between these two stories and he says, and Allah knows best, that is the reason why it is chosen. And that's a very nice uh, statement of the Sheikh Rahimahullah Ta'ala that you can see the similarities between the two and Allah Azza wa knows best. The second group of people that are mentioned in the second nation are the people of Thamud. And when it comes to the people of Thamud, the reasoning as to why they are the ones also being mentioned, and it may well be that Allah Azzawajal knows best, simply because it is another example of a group of people or a nation that is mentioned in the Quran that tried to harm people. And one of the things that we find in the story of Thamud, that is unique because he simply says, Rahimullah Ta'ala. He doesn't go through any great detail for Thamud. He simply says, because they were also people of power and people of transgression. That's all he says. They were also people of oppression. They were also people of transgression and power. One of the things that we find in the story of Thamud that is interesting from the other prophets uh, is, and we know that all of those prophets they were harmed by their people or they tried to harm them in one way or another. But Allah in the Quran mentions specifically in the story of Salih Alayhi exactly how they tried to assassinate him. And Allah mentions this, that there were a group of nine. A group of nine of the most evil from amongst the people of Thamud gathered. And they said, tonight when he sleeps, we will kill him, we will kill his family. And then we will say to his relatives, his awliya, the people who are, you know, his family members that are going to come and seek justice for him. We're going to say to him, أهلي, we don't know anything about what happened. So we're going to essentially lie and be dishonest, but this is how we're going. And so Allah mentions this in detail. It's not mentioned about Nuh in that way. It's not mentioned about uh, Lut in that way, or Hud in that way, or Shu'ib in that way, but it's mentioned about Salih And that may also be one of the reasons. Because this is also for the people of the Prophet Sallallahu in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu the similarities between this Ummah and between Bani Israel and the story of Musa and Amr's story is mentioned in a number of hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu makes that connection between this Ummah and between the Ummah of Musa And perhaps also, and Allah knows best, the people of Thamud. Because in the story of Salih the fact that the Prophet وسلم, himself would be harmed. They would try to assassinate him. On multiple occasions. They will try to kill him and do away with him. That's something that we also find mentioned in some detail in the story of Salih Salatu salam. And Allah knows best. The uh, the uh, or another reason that is given is mentioned by Abu Hayyan. So again, the scholars are trying to find a reason as to why. So Pharaoh, I think, is is quite easy. We've 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 mentioned this. Thamud, he says or Abu Taala, he says that the reason why these two are mentioned, Pharaoh and Thamud, is because of how well-known their stories were amongst the Arabs. Thamud, because they were an Arab tribe, they lived in the Arabian Peninsula, the Arabs on their way to Asham would pass through the area, so they would see their dwellings, and so they were familiar with them. And Pharaoh, because he is known, his story is known amongst the people of Ahlul Kitab, and even amongst some of the Arabs who had those links with the Jews and the Christians of the Arabian Peninsula. So this is the, the, the reasoning that he goes with, and obviously there is no clear hadith from the Prophet Wasallam. no clear tafsir, as far as I'm aware, from many of the companions as to why. And that's, by the way, not something that you find very often amongst the early scholars of Islam. So Al-Tabari just says very simply that Allah Azza wa Jalla gives examples of them because these are two people or two, two nations that harm the believers. You don't find this, what we call tanasub trying to find the exact reason as to why this one or not that one. It's not something that you find that the companions of the early scholars of the tabi'een used to spend a great deal of time looking into. It was sufficient for them that Allah mentions this and Allah knows best exactly why he chose them. But we can understand why in the, in the sense that there are examples of nations that did harm to the believers during their time and Allah punished them. That's something which we can all agree upon. But why them? Why not someone else? Why particularly them in this context? Why not? that's not something that you will find. And that's why you can see here that the scholars that are looking into this are scholars who came much later: Abu Hayyan Ibn Ashur, Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Shaqiti. These are scholars who came much after the time of the early generations of Mufassirin. But there's no harm anyway in mentioning this, uh, just by 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 reason of of trying to see if we can come to something or some of the wisdoms behind this anyway. And Allah Azzawajal knows best. So this is the position of Buhayyan because of the well-known uh, nature of these stories, how famous they were, how well-known they were. And so Allah Azzawajal mentions the story of Thamud and the people of Pharaoh. They speak to different people also in the Arabian Peninsula from the Arabs and from the Ahl al-Kitab, from the people of the scripture. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that the reason why Thamud is mentioned is because of the, what we will call, or what he calls Rahimah Allah Ta'ala, the Fasila. It is because it rhymes, if you like. The surahs we can see from inna batsha rabbika lashadeed, for a number of verses, ends with the word, with the letter Dal. inna batsha rabbika lashadeed, innahu huwa yubdi'u wa yu'eed, wa huwa al-ghafoorul wadood, dhu al Majid, majeed, lima yureed, <laughs> <whadithul-junood>, wa and this is something which is known as the fawasil. How does the verse end in order to keep it rhyming? And this is something which Arabs do even to today. We call it taqafiyya. If you look at Arab poetry, often you will find that it's called something like a nuniyya, which means that it always ends with the letter noon. Or it's a finishes with the letter ra. Or it's a finishes with the letter ha. Or a finishes with the letter lan. A finishes with the letter ta and so on and so forth. This is what the Arabs do in their poetry very often. And that's something which you will see anyone that studied Arabic poetry will come across many examples of this. He says, and the the Quran does something similar by the way. We have many examples of this in the Quran. How many surahs of the Quran ending is almost rhyming always finishing with the alif always finishing with with, with one letter, a dal, or finishing with a ra, like in Surah Al-Qamar. Or finish, this is very common within the Book of Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, finishing with a noon, like in Surah Al-Rahman, in the vast majority of its verses. That's something which is very common in the Book of Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, because it was one of the ways the Arabs understood eloquence. So the Qur'an put some of what the Arabs were familiar with. So Ibn Ashur's position is very much to do with eloquence and Arabic language, and as we know, Ibn Ashur was a scholar of both and his tafsir often focuses on the Arabic language and eloquence. In fact, in terms of eloquence, Elmul al-bayyan and ma'ani, what is called ilm al and ma'ani in Arabic, which is more to do than just with grammar and poetry. It's to do with meanings, is to do with eloquence, is to do with many different sciences concerning the Arabic words. Uh, Ibn Ashur is someone who, who is an expert in this and he often goes into this. He's often speaking about these issues within his tafsir. So he says that Thamud is mentioned simply for that reason. Very easily, Ad could have been mentioned or Nuh or Shu'ib or any of these people, but Allah chose them or chose Thamud for this reason because of the harfud Dal, because of the Dal that comes at the end. And that's why He says that for the other people, like the people of Nuh or the people of Shu'ib or Madian or Lot, even though Ad has the same thing, but it's not in the same way as Thamud in terms of the way that it's written and and, and and the letters that are used within it. He says so Allah chose Thamud for that reason. All of these positions, whether it's the more general one, whether it's the one mentioned by Abu Hayyan or Ibn Ashur, Allah knows best exactly why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentioned, mentioned these two nations, but it is enough to know that they are examples to the larger point, and that larger point being that these are examples that give consolation, solace, Tranquility to the believers in the sense that they should understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Many nations came before that oppressed the believers, that rejected their prophets, that harmed others And Allah azza wa always punished them So if the people are not punished in the dunya Then Allah azza will account them, hold them to account and judge them on Al qiyamah And no one escapes from the decree of Allah azza No one escapes from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so I think with that inshallah ta'ala we will pause there for today's episode uh, and inshallah ta'ala then we have about three or four verses left for the conclusion of this surah. So either next week or the week after inshallah ta'ala we will conclude this surah. Um, there were a couple of questions that I saw that I'll answer. The um, first question was what is the difference between Hamid and Majid if they are used together like in the Salatul Ibrahimiyyah? I think we mentioned this last week, so we went through this that Allah Azza because he's Majeed and the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Majid denotes everything that is that is majestic about Allah Azza wa Jal, that is honourable and noble about our Lord and great about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he is worthy of all praise. And so Allah Azza wa Jal is Hamid, worthy of all praise, worthy of all praise in all times and in all situations. And so there is a very strong link between this. And I'm pretty sure last week we went into this in some detail. Speaking about how Allah Azza wa is worthy of all praise because of uh, his majd. And we mention also the dua that is mentioned when in salah when we stand up from ruku' in the standing position after ruku' and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in one dua he used to say in one dhikr والمجد, that Allah Azza wa is worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, the next question is <clears throat> last class you spoke about the greatness of the throne with respect to the qursi, the heavens and the earth. Related to understanding this, is this the whole universe, the planets, the stars and all galaxies all within the first heaven? Yes, that seems to be the case and Allah Azzawajan knows best. That the first heaven covers all of uh, all of the uh, at least all of what we understand and Allah Azzawajan knows best like in terms of galaxies and obviously clearly in the time of the Prophet sallallahu and the early scholars they didn't know about Milky Ways and galaxies and so on so is the first were heaven a canopy over all of this that would seem to be the case but Allah knows best that's something which only Allah knows and I don't have any like particular uh, knowledge concerning this how should the uh, second question is how should we split our time between reciting Quran learning Tajweed memorizing and learning tafsir? The best way is just to have good time management. You have a time for just recitation of the Qur'an, what the scholars would call your daily wirt, just reading the Qur'an in terms of reading and trying to finish, make of the Qur'an. So every day you read a page, two, three, whatever it may be until you finish the Qur'an and then you start again and so on. And then learning Tajweed and that is best done with a teacher that can hear you and and listen to you and apply it uh, for you or apply or or its application of Tajweed. terms of of your recitation and then you have a time of memorization and time for learning tafsir that would be the best way in terms of what is the split in terms of like how much of that time do we dedicate how much percentage i think that differs from uh, person to person tajweed is something that you would learn and it's something which would be in a burst where you can understand and apply those rules once you've done that then alhamdulillah you've, you've reached a level of tajweed obviously there is a more a detailed level of Tajweed where you would get the Ijazah and it would fine-tune your Tajweed and so on. But that's something only for those people that have memorized the Quran. That's, I think, something which comes later. So if you can read with Tajweed, you understand how to pronounce the letters of the Arabic language. You can correctly recite the Quran. You know the basic rules of Tajweed in terms of the ghunnas and the Mads and all of those things, the Sifat, the, the, the attributes of the letters. That's a good, sufficient level. So once you've done that, that should then become the norm in all of your recitation so you can dispense with that particular point as a learning thing and as for memorization that's a long-term thing either also and depends upon a person what their goal is how much they want to memorize how often they want to memorize so long as you continue to memorize I think even if it is only a verse a week or a verse a day whatever your capability is I think that is a good thing and it is honorable and inshallah ta'ala you will have the reward from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala for your intention and for your effort, even if you find that to be uh, quite difficult. And tafsir again depends on your time and your ability. It may just well be QP. It may be the page by page Quran. It may be the more detailed tafsir programs that we've been done, or it may be you reading and listening to other tafsir programs that are out there. Whatever you're able to do, you do that to the best of your ability. But as for a student of Quran, those four things are all essential. Like there's not like one instead of the other. All four are essential to be able to read the Quran correctly, to be able to memorize or memorizing as much of the Quran as you can, and to understand and reflect upon the Quran, especially learning tafsir, because tafsir is the key to reflection and contemplation. And if you had to choose tafsir, then I would choose those surahs of the Quran that you're most likely to read and memorize first. And that's why we started QP from Juz Amma as opposed from uh the first chosen surah al-baqarah because most people these are the surahs that they're familiar with these are the ones they listen to these are the ones that they memorize and recite in salah and so uh, to to start or to to start with those surahs is i think also something which is good can you become amongst the people of the quran without having memorized it yes i don't think that it is a condition to be from the people of the quran without having memorized it what it means from the people of the quran is that your life revolves around the book of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala in its recitation, in its memorization, in its learning. And that's why I said so long as you're trying to memorize it, because not everyone necessarily uh, had that opportunity or had that ability or now has the time either to memorize it. But that doesn't mean that they're not memorizing. Those people that don't try to memorize anything, I think they're not really attempting to be true students of the Qur'an. But you memorize what you can to the best of your ability. So as long as you're memorizing, even if it is a verse, or something, I think that, that is good. And it shows that you have uh, a desire to learn, inshallah ta'ala, to memorize and to better yourself. And there are uh, there are many examples of people taking many, many years, as we've said before, memorizing the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And remember, for many of the companions, it took a long time. Many of the companions. And that's what Anas radiallahu anhu used to say, that if amongst someone memorized Baqarah and Ali Imran, Baqarah and Ali Imran, those two surahs, it's like four Jews of the Qur'an. He said if, those, if someone amongst us memorized those two surahs, we would jalla ayunina that person would be respected in our eyes because it wasn't common amongst them to have memorized so much Qur'an in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. It took him a long time to memorize the Qur'an. And so this thing where people, as we said before, people have, that you have to finish within a day or two or a week or two or a year or two, that's something which King need to run. But amongst the companions, it wasn't the case. It took many of them, a long time Aisha radiallahu anha in her hadith of Toba in, in, in the story of her slander when she's speaking about her Toba, she can't even remember she doesn't remember the or she's trying to recall the verse in Surah Yusuf for Sabrunjamil, Wallahum Mustaanu tasifun. But she says in the in the, in the hadith that I didn't know a great deal of Quran. I'd heard the verse and I was familiar with it, but I couldn't recall it exactly word for word, who, who it was because she hadn't yet memorized a great deal of the Quran in the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there are many examples of this Ibn Umar and Umar and others from amongst the companions. For those who read the books and the biographies, you will come to know this and see this. And then obviously it becomes something which people are able to do quicker and quicker and quicker. But the point being here is that they they, they spent their lifetime learning. Many of them memorized after the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, many of them memorized over a number of years. And so inshallah ta'ala. Uh, that's something which you should always continue to do and Allah azza wa jal knows best. Okay, so I apologize for the slight problems that we had today in terms of the, the connectivity and, and the internet but inshallah ta'ala I hope that nothing was missed in terms of what we spoke about but the recording will be uploaded anyway if anything was missed. There's a, a pause there and, and obviously some silence because I'm trying to get the whole internet restarted. Uh, but it is an intact recording inshallah ta'ala the audio file will be intact if something is missing and that's one of the reasons why we have the audio and the video and so on uh, inshallah working simultaneously So allahu wa sallallahu wasallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh